0: you're the god of all creation you're the king above all kings and only you would choose a rugged cross to rescue me you're the healer of the broken by faith i still believe you put on my flesh you conquer death lord you are my victory I wonder what you could do This path leads I do not know With all its twists And turns But I've discovered In the unknown Lessons I must Learn And that the darkness Walked with Jesus Is as precious As the light Found I've come to love Him better As I walk by faith and not by So I will follow where you lead me, I will seek to know your will. And I'll pursue you with my whole heart, your desires to fulfill. And I will trust that you are good, though sometimes I cannot see the blessing through the tears. On this path, you're leading me. The blessing through the tears. On this path, you're leading me. And in the valley, dark with shadows, where the path becomes unclear. And I'm struggling with the feeling that you're no longer. summit, where not long ago we climbed, and claim again your promises that I trusted at the time, so I will follow where you lead me, I will seek to know your will, and I'll pursue you With my whole heart Your desires to fulfill And I will trust that you are good Though sometimes I cannot see The blessing through the tears On this path you're leading me The blessing through the tears On this path you're leading me it's the paths i wouldn't have chosen where you proved your love for me the ones that were so painful have become my greatest blessing because you always have a blessing even in the tears so lord i'll find pursue you with my whole heart, your desires to fulfill, and I will trust that you are good, and that someday I will see the blessing in these tears, and I wouldn't change a thing, because there are blessings. There are blessings in these tears For all who follow faithfully
1: Songs and How the Lord's You. Turn with me if you would, in your Bible tonight to Hosea, Hosea chapter number seven, Hosea chapter number seven. We're going to make our focus tonight on the sections that would be from Hosea chapter number four, all the way to chapter number eleven. We noticed before that we made the sections that were uh, chapters one, two, and three that spoke of very specifically Hosea, what he was going through and the picture that he was for the children of Israel. Now, uh, Hosea, as he is prophesying, is making his uh, claims. He is showing Israel their sin and he's pointing it out. Uh, I wanted to do something tonight. And again, like I said, I don't We are going to dive into different passages of Scripture and look at them, but it's really important to me to stay with the big picture. We could jump in and we could look at one little verse and we could talk about idolatry. We could talk about uh, the adultery or, the, as it were, the cheating of Israel uh, on God, and we could look at how we do that, and all of those are applicable. They really are. They're good messages they're in there, but I want us to hopefully, like I said, be able to take the step back and look at as a whole, as what is it that, that he's trying to get across to them that it might hopefully have a little bit of a deeper meaning for us. So What I want to do tonight is start in Hosea chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. And we're going to introduce this. If you found that, Hosea chapter 7 verses 8 through 11, stand with me. We'll read those verses. We'll ask the Lord to help us and then we'll try very quickly to put it all together tonight. But we got tons of time, man, tonight. So, uh, Hosea chapter 7, verse number 8. Ephraim, not speaking of Israel, you remember the northern kingdoms, he calls them Ephraim often. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here, and they are upon him, yet he knoweth not. And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face. And they did not return to the Lord, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim is also like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt, and they go to Assyria. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity tonight to stand and just open up the Word of God again tonight and study it. Dear God, I do believe that you have uh, application for us. I believe that you have things for us to consider uh, just a little bit deeper. I pray that you, as we look into your Word, I do pray, dear God, that We would not make uh, uh, stretches that don't need to be made, that we don't look for things that aren't there, but we would look into the word of God and earnestly have a desire to grow closer to you in our walk uh, and it to be real. And I believe, dear God, you speak to the deep places of our hearts. You do. You call unto us. Deep calleth unto deep. And you you speak to us in places that I believe... uh, uh, the, the world just cannot even uh, uh, comprehend it often. And it absolutely cannot counterfeit what God does in our heart and in our life when He's working and his, He's moving. The depth of the relationship that we can have with our God is deeper than any other relationship. And I pray that we would understand that. I pray that this would not be some uh, half-hearted thing that we uh, go into in our relationship with Christ. But yet, dear God, on a Wednesday night, as we have people who love your book, have come to gather around your book, I pray that we'd be able to open up the Word of God and speak some truth into their life, dear God, that would just thrill them with who their God is and what He is doing for them and the kind of God He wants to be to them. We see that with Israel. We see that with how you've called them. And I pray, dear God, it would speak to our hearts as well. We praise you for what you do tonight. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I chose these couple verses here because, in a way, Hosea, with a little turn of phrase, with a little bit of a metaphor, he paints a picture, really, of the two major sins that he wants to call Israel out on. Like I said, you can read through the book And you can read through chapters 4 and you can all the way through verse number 11 and you're going to be able to find sins. You're going to be able to see that he calls them out for this and he calls them out for that and that's fine. But I believe that when we see these two phrases, we get an idea of really the big picture problem with them. The first one that he says is he says there that they are a cake that's not turned. In other words, what he is saying, he's like, you're done on one side and you're not done on the other. You, you have been hypocritical with me. And as a matter of fact, if you read through them, you're going to see him build the case for them that this hypocrisy goes in a very deep way. He says for them, and, and we could go, and if you go back, if you go a little bit forward in chapter 8, verses 8 through 14, You're gonna see him describe this and you're gonna see him describe it in other places. I'm not gonna read all those verses because I want you to go home and read all four through 11, right? But he starts to tell them, he says, listen, you got no problems going out and making sacrifices to Balaam and, and going up in the groves and going up into the high places and sacrificing and praying to idols. And then you'll come in the temple on a Saturday, their holy day, and you'll make a sacrifice to God like it all goes together he said what in the world is wrong with you can't you see that these two don't go together at all that 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 you can't serve both of us it doesn't work that way and man let's just face it we can all see the similarities as we make it and break it down and feel the trickle right down towards us As he's talking about it, and as God would say to us as well, you can't go out and live for the world and make sacrifices to the world and idolize the world and think that the world is everything and then come in on Sunday and act like you're going to make some kind of sacrifice to me. It doesn't work. He said, I know where your heart is. Matter of fact, over there in chapter 8, he's like, your sacrifices don't mean anything because they're not from your heart. And he says it many times in the prophets where he says, I don't really want your sacrifice if you give it like that. It doesn't mean anything. It's not the sacrifice. And I hope that we understand that and see that where this is today. When we come to the house of God, there ought to be a desire to come to the house of God, right? When we come and we do these things for the Lord, it should not be because it's the duty or because that we have to. But guess what? If your heart's not right with God and you've got a bunch of idols in your life and this world is way more important to you, then guess what? The house of God will seem like a chore and there's many people who will just still do it because they feel the duty, they feel the necessity, Uh, it's part of who they are, it's what they've grown up with and all the different reasons and they come in and they make a sacrifice to God and it means nothing. It means nothing. And I know it's not a popular thing to say because I hope that maybe inside of the church God might turn your heart eventually. But guess what? It really isn't doing you any good to be in the house of God like that. You've got to get your heart right with God. But he says to them, he's like, listen, you have been a hypocrite with me. You've lived one way. This is his, one of his big problems with him. You've lived one way completely. And he goes, and we already talked about a lot of this. He said, I've been the one who's increasing you. And then you go out and make a sacrifice to Baal with what I gave you. That's pretty blatant, isn't it? Guess what? We're pretty guilty, aren't we? That God blesses us and we go out and sacrifice it to the world. Use it up in this world and make sure that we're satisfied and make sure we have what we need and use it for all those things. So that's the first thing. Then number two, he says, you're a silly dove. He puts it there in verse number 11. Ephraim is also like a silly dove without a heart. And then he explains what he means to that when he says, they call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. In chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, He describes the fact that inside of their trial and inside of their concern for their country, they looked to Assyria and they looked to Egypt to make treaties with those countries. God had already said that the Israelites weren't to make those treaties. God had already told them, listen, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. And if there's one thing that we know, From the nation of Israel and the history that they have, that God has a record of taking care of that little tiny country. He has a huge record of making sure, is there, we also know that without a doubt, of all of the ancient peoples whose land, whose homeland was taken away from them, none of them survived. We don't know who the real Assyrians are. We can't tell you who the real Babylonians are, but we still know who the Hebrew people are. God has preserved them. God has taken care of them time and time again. And so God comes to them and says, why is it that you feel the need to go make some kind of pact, some kind of treaty with these wicked countries when I've already told you that I'll take care of you? Hmm we see it don't we do I gotta make that application I think you already get it don't you we make all kinds of deals with the world don't we that you know what I want this comfort I want this and I want that and I'll sacrifice this that God has already asked me to do I'll sacrifice the clear teaching of God's Word I, I won't be quite what I should maybe be with my family or whatever or, uh, or however you might want to look at it but we always make these concessions so that will fit in with the world man. that was Israel's big problem right from the get-go they wanted a king they wanted to fit in they wanted to look like everybody else and I'm telling you it never worked out once for them it never worked out once for them and so here they are coming under that same so these are the two problems that that Hosea is dealing with them with them you like I said you're gonna see lots of little things idolatry uh, that, it, that are a part of that adultery and all of that, but what he's really saying is, is you have been hypocritical with God and you have not, and the big issue with the treaties is you didn't trust God. You didn't trust God. He said, haven't I been trustworthy? Haven't I been? Now, here's what I want to do tonight. We've already set the stage with that introduction of what those two things are. We also know and we can feel the weight of that application in our own life. We see how that trickles down to us. We know that we find times in our life where we get swept up in the world. And listen, it happens to the best of us, doesn't it? It really does. I'm not standing up here this evening and acting like I've never been caught away with the things of the world. I absolutely have. As a matter of fact, it wasn't too long ago, I was having a conversation with somebody about football, and I, and I remember thinking back to a time in my life, and I'm really ashamed of this, and I'm going to share it so that you know I'm not trying to toot my own horn all the time, but I remember that I would get up on a Sunday morning early to watch the pre-game NFL football shows before I go to church because football was like that important to me. I wanted to know what was happening. I wanted to know who was hurt, and I wanted to know, and I look back on that and go, that's the silliest thing ever, right? Some of you are like, uh-oh, uh-oh, <laughs> wait a minute. But I look back and go, I have nothing to do with those games, right? The, uh, whether they win or they lose will not affect one hour of my week, right? It won't. It won't make one difference to it. But yet I was wrapped up and so concerned with it and I was carried away with those things. And I have found myself in that way many times in this life. And God has to come along, just like the children of Israel, right? And kind of give us a little smack across the back of the head and go, that's not as important as you think it is. That's not as important as I am. Boy, isn't it sad when we let such small things blind our view of the creator God of this world? It's it's just where they were. And so that was his big problem. And then number two, his big problem was they just, they weren't trusting. And how many times are we guilty, just not trusting, of trying to figure it out ourselves, Right? I'll go down to Egypt and I'll make a plan. I'll go up to Assyria and I'll make a bargain so that everything will be okay. God says, why don't you just trust? We know we we fall to that as well. So let's take a look at this. How did they get there? Because he lays that out in these chapters. We're going to do that really quick. We're going to just look at a couple of different chapters we're going to move through. Let's go back to chapter number four. We've already made mention of this one and you probably remember it. And uh, it's probably one of the biggest uh, things that he's, he, as a matter of fact, he's going to talk about it all throughout it. We're even going to make mention of it. I'm not going to introduce it anymore. Uh, I, uh, Hosea chapter four, verse number six. Like I said, we read it already. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that uh, there shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of God, I also forget thy children. And then if you look over in chapter number 5, the next chapter, and in verse number 4, he said, They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord they have not known the Lord I think that well I mean it's pretty simple to study this and and find this out really quickly that this knowledge that he's talking about is knowledge of the Lord and it's knowing the Lord and again we understand and I don't have to preach this to you but it's still a difficult concept I think even for me at times to grasp that this knowledge of the Lord is deeper than just knowing than just having the facts but this is a understanding and coming to grips with the characteristics of God the person of God and having a relationship where those things are spoken into your heart and you know God like you know a friend all of these things are true that's a difficult it's always difficult for us to do it's difficult for us to let's just face it sometimes it's difficult for us to have real relationships with human beings right And we can see them but yet we can't see God and we've got to maintain and the most important thing in our life is gonna be the maintaining and the balance of that relationship that we have with God our Creator it's gonna dictate how everything works in our life as a matter of fact we already know cuz we've learned it from the scriptures and we've learned it from personal experience as well that when our relationship with God is in trouble it's really difficult to have good relationships with people super hard we have no reference point so it makes it so difficult so the first place that we start is that we have to come into this place where we know God where it's not just a knowledge in our head But it is is felt throughout our being that we are aware of who he is, what he can do, his characteristics. And I use that one because I think that's something that maybe some of us need to key on. I know I do. This is something I key on so that I can know what he's like. I look at the things that he does. Like I said before, when I'm going through these, the fact that he's long suffering is a great one that I take comfort in. And I look at it and I look at it often and when I find a passage of Scripture in the Bible where I find that he's long-suffering I go wow that's wonderful and then I remember also that if he is so long-suffering with me should I not in turn be long-suffering with others it encourages me to put down that part of me that that shouldn't be there but there is so much of this that I could go on But I wanted you, we're going to turn to one other scripture tonight as we think about this, because this one really hit me in the heart. And this is where we would go. That the pursuit, listen, the pursuit of knowing God is a costly pursuit. It's going to cost some things in your life. It's not going to be the easiest thing you've ever done. As a matter of fact, we know right from the very beginning of it, it's difficult. But not only is it going to be difficult, but it's also going to be costly in that this is going to require, listen to me carefully, a lot of your attention. It's going to take time and a lot of it. And that's something, let's just face it, we're we're real short on, aren't we, these days? Hey, I hear it too. I really appreciate the folks in our church. They'll call me and they'll be like, Mike, we know you're busy. And I, I appreciate that you know that and that you, and I am a, I'm glad because, you know, preachers are either known as really busy or really lazy, right? So I'm glad to be known as one of the really busy ones, right? You know what I mean? That's wonderful. But at the same time, we need to be, number one, available for God's word and God's Spirit coming into our hearts. And I'm telling you, this is not, it's not easy and it's time consuming. And when I say it's costly, let's look at this. Go with me to Philippians chapter number three. I didn't mark this. You might beat me there. Philippians chapter number three. Okay. Let's read this together. Notice what Paul says here. Verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, the things that I gained, the things that I had, the things that maybe I wanted to boast of, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of, Of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You want to know Christ? It's not going to be easy, it's going to cost you some stuff. It is going to be the single most driven part of your mind. And your heart and your soul we ever heard that before love the Lord thy God all thy mind with all thy soul with all thy body that he would be the target as a matter of fact a lot of people are probably gonna think you're weird because you love Jesus There are probably even gonna be some Christians that think you're weird because you love Jesus now I want to point something out as we keep looking at this. This is important. We need to remember this. All throughout the book of the prophets that we're going to read, you're going to see that he speaks to the nation of Israel. And he is calling for them to repent. He is calling for them to turn back. We know that each and every time that these are called for, that really what is typically happening is a few are coming. And as a matter of fact... When the prophets speak of the last, and they're mirroring these, this last uh, 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 restoration of Israel, it's only for a remnant of Israel. It's always speaking about just a few people that are going to really get this. You understand that, right? It's not, the now the nation of Israel has a, a redemptive property, but it's a remnant over and over. This is what we keep seeing. And when we look at this inside of the church and as God is speaking to the church, unfortunately, I still believe that there's really just a few that really get it. Isn't that scary? Isn't that make you want to just go, wait a minute, Lord, where are we at? What are we doing? And why would you say something like that, Mike? Because the one thing that I have seemed to find is it's really not a lot of people that are just bent on having Jesus Christ. That, That they want His presence more than anything. They desire it. And it's not just coming out of their mouth going, oh yeah, and it's not just this. It's because they get up in the morning and are trying to find His presence. Looking it that it will fill their day. Maybe they go to bed at night with Him on their heart and on their mind. Thinking about what, what can we do better tomorrow? Where, was, where were we fit for you today? God, how did we do it? God, how can we impact our kids so that they see Christ in us over and over? That they look at it this way. Look at how strong those wordings are. Whatever things were gained to me, I counted them for loss. I count all things. I count all things. And then he says, verse number 9, And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then he says in verse number 10, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Here's the other one. You want to know Him? Here you go. And the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Let's keep reading these, because this is powerful. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I might apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He caught me. Amen. I like that. I was trying to catch him and he caught me. Brethren, I count myself myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. One thing. This is all I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. I want to know Him. This one thing I do, and I do it better than anything else. Paul didn't say that. I'm kind of putting that in my own words to try and make me feel a little bit better because I don't do just one thing, right? That's what Paul said. And I'm hoping at least in my life that that one thing that I do, that I do it better than anything else. But that's usually not the case, There's a whole lot of things that we do better than pursue God. Hey, I'm right there with you. I get caught up in it all the time. But these are going to be my outcomes if I don't know Him. Don't know Him. Number two, oh man, I got four tonight, not three. You're like, wow. But the other ones are not near as long, I promise. Number one, not knowing God. Number two, not knowing, not knowing their sickness. I want you to go with me to chapter 5, chapter 5, verse number 13. Chapter 5, verse number 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, notice this, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jerob, Yet could he not heal you, nor cure you of your wound. You were sick. You had a wound. You had an issue and you had a problem. Listen, it's two parts, right? You were sick and it hurt you. You were sick and it also caused a pain. And he said when that happened, instead of going to God, where did you go? You went to Egypt... You went to the Assyrians. Ephraim went to and the king. You went to other places. You looked for something to heal you that could never help you. Oh man, there's a lot that we could preach about this. Just one thing. I was reading some Spurgeon on these passages of Scripture and it was blowing my mind. But as he was dealing with this passage of Scripture specifically... And he was talking about that. And isn't it amazing that somebody that, you know, a hundred years ago is doing these writings and putting these things together says things that are so applicable today. And this is what he said. He said, a lot of people can't see past their hurt. A lot of people, they get hurt and they can't see past it. That's all they see now. I got hurt. I got hurt. I'm going to try to fix it but I'm going to completely do it my own way. I'm going to go over here and get this because this is what makes me feel... This is what makes the hurt feel better. But you know, most of the time, when you got to get better, a lot of times it's going to hurt worse for a minute or two before you get better. It doesn't... It don't feel good. I mean, we're, we're thankful that we have modern medicine today, and when they're cutting all that mess out of you, they numb you up and everything. But anyway, that didn't have anything to do with it. But uh, it hurts. A lot of times we cannot see past it. We weren't we have and and it'll blow up it'll, it'll it's amazing, isn't it? Whether we've been hurt by a person and if we've been hurt by a person, then then everything that is going on with that person is is evil towards us now. You know, it really is very rare that someone is wishing evil upon you continuously. It's pretty rare. It takes a, an unusual type of person that that's their, their number one goal. Probably more than likely, they're not thinking about you near as much as you think they are. But you can't see past your hurt. And that's all the places you got. And you're like, hey, I can't do nothing. And I'm done here. And the true problem is, is we've got to get way down to the deep part of the real problem of our sickness. And for any of us, just like the nation of Israel, what was the real problem in their sickness? Oh man, you want to keep reading it? It, We already said number one, lack of knowledge, but also pride. It's all throughout there. He keeps telling them it's because of your pride. It's because that you won't, Listen, it's because you think you've got it figured out. It's because somehow you think that these blessings in your life, that you somehow produced them. Isn't that amazing? We look at the people of Israel and go, surely they would understand that God did all this for them. I mean, He brought them out of the land of Egypt. He dropped the walls of Jericho. Surely they wouldn't forget. And I think sometimes God is looking at us as well and going, surely they wouldn't forget that I gave them all that, right? But we do, don't we? And somehow we've got this feeling that I did this, I did this. No, it's of God. Can we go past that? And can we go down and ask God to take us to a place where yes, it's going to hurt, yes, it's going to be uncomfortable, and yes, I'm going to have to deal with my messed up stuff, but then I can really get better. Because the world's got no cure for that, right? They are specialists at treating the symptoms, right? Not getting down to the real problem. That's That's Satan's number one goal. Hey, let's just make you feel better tonight. Matter of fact, Satan's not even real good at that. Usually the way that he makes you feel better tonight, you feel really bad tomorrow, right? Ten years down the road, you're dealing with stuff you never... Thought you'd have to deal with. Anyway, I got to keep moving. They didn't know their sickness. Number three. Chapter number six. Verse number six. We already kind of hit on this a little bit, but I'm going to hit on it again. Verse number six. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. They did not know what God wanted. Didn't know what God wanted. We already made mention like I said of this but here they are and they are coming in and they're making their sacrifices to God. They're going through the motions of service uh, and everything that God would expect from them. But yet God says, It doesn't mean anything without the knowledge of who God is. Our our worship, our service, our sacrifice to God, all of the things that we do, unless we've come in, this is a, I hope this one strikes home a little bit. I love Sunday mornings at Nottingham. Amen? The Lord's been blessing. It's great to worship. It's great to feel the Holy Spirit move. But I'm going to tell you what, if you have not been spending time with God all week, and you haven't been searching for His face, then when you come in on Sunday morning, it's just an emotional ride for you. It is. Because there is an emotion that is a part of worship. Those things go together, okay? And the Holy Spirit meets with us. And worship takes place. But there's some people in here on a Sunday morning that are having a deeper and a more full time of worship because they spent time with God all week. Their sacrifice, their worship that's going on on a Sunday morning is deeper. And those are the same people, listen to me real careful now, that can go out and make a great sacrifice to God and they do it With a joyful heart. It's not a problem. Can I preach for a minute? It's pretty frustrating sometimes when in the church. You ask somebody to maybe go above and beyond a little bit. And you can tell right away. That's just not what they're going to do. Pretty rough. As a matter of fact. It really hurts sometimes when you go to them and then they just, and things like this come out of the mouth. I would never do that. Can I go ahead and just preach for a little while? It was pretty rough during COVID, wasn't it? And we had to do things crazy different. We had sign up sheets. People told me I'd never just sign up. You must not want to be a church too, no. Because the sign up sheet was full. I'm sure all of you signed up right first thing. If I can't come at 11, I'm not coming. Yeah, right? Boy, it got quiet. We're preaching tonight, man. But sometimes there's those. They'll do anything to get in his presence. We had that too. We did. We had folks that were like literally knocking the door down when we were just supposed to be live streaming, right? We're like, no, you're not supposed to be. <laughs> they wanted to worship, wanted to be in God's house. You know what? God loves to see those hearts, he's pleased with their sacrifice, because that's what he's looking for, a heart that's here, a heart that's desiring for him. But that doesn't, I, we can't make that happen with just three services a week. You got to go home and you got to know who he is. Desire him, want to know him, want to be with his people. You'll love his people too. I don't even have time right now to get into 1 John with all of this. But man, you'll want to keep his commandments if you know him. You'll love his people if you know him. Man, there was more preaching in this than I thought. Amen. number four, we'll be done. Go to chapter 10 with me. They did not know that they were unproductive. Verse number 1 of chapter 10. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altar. According to the goodness of his lamb, they have made goodly Images. their heart is divided now they shall be found faulty he shall break down their altar he shall spoil their image Israel is an empty boy there's a lot going on in there their fruit unto themselves get that right I don't have to make that application right is what you produce just for you? Just in case you were wondering, where our fruit is for Him. That's who we produce for. If you don't produce for Him, then what you have is empty. Matter of fact, Jesus is going to do this over and over with the fig tree, right? When, when He's literally walking on the, this planet, He's going to show this with the fig tree. He's going to be like, that's Israel right there. There should be fruit. There's a flower, but there's no fruit. And isn't it sad that those of us that were created to bring glory to God strive so hard to bring glory to ourselves? And our fruit is only for us. Sometimes it takes us a long time to realize that that is not fruit. And it's not satisfying. We'll try all kinds of fruit. Let's try apples for a while. Let's try peaches. No, nope, nothing satisfied. But when we bear fruit for him, not that amazing? All of a the sudden, there's joy and satisfaction. They didn't even know it. Their hearts were divided. Their hearts were divided. They are still out there with the idols Worshipping all those things, going after them with everything that they, their heart was. Are you productive? Do you feel like in your life you are productive? I love the thirty-three men series. Where's Rick at? There he is back there. I love how it gets into that stage of your life where we're supposed to be productive. Man, did you know that? We've got a productive stage. We've got the adolescent stage. That's where men are complete morons in the adolescent stage. It's just weird. All over the place. And if you don't move from one to the other, there's a big problem, right? And that productive stage is, is amazing. And you ought to be taken a hold of and saying, what am I, I going to produce for the kingdom of God? What am I going to produce for my family? What am I going to do that's going to satisfy God and honor God? And hey, man, guess what? You can honor God by providing for your family because that's in the Bible. Amen? You ought to do that. That is fruit to the Lord. You stand up and say, man, I'm thankful that God gave me a job. I can go out and provide for my family and I'm doing it because the word of God told me to do it. Guess what? There's a lot of men out there that aren't doing that. They're dishonoring God right off the start. And so we see this productive time. But if our hearts are divided, then, we, then there's nothing productive. And we're, if we're looking to constantly please ourselves, and all of our fruit is for ourselves, oh, it's all in vain. How long is it going to take us to figure that out? God is trying in so many different ways to tell us really the same thing. Spurgeon had one more, and I'll be done with it. There is not a greater evil than for a heart to be happy in idolatry. Hmm. When we find ourselves content with our idols... We're in a dangerous place. Do we know? Are we, are we being destroyed because of a lack of knowledge? Do you know him tonight? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Daryl, come around. Let's get an invite song together tonight. Play that. Maybe you need to come. Dear Heavenly Father, help us tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to open up the word of God. Dear Lord, it's powerful. It speaks to our heart. Dear God, I pray that inside of us, dear God, we'd examine ourselves. We'd look at our heart and say, God, why do we serve? God, why do we do this? God, are you pleased with our sacrifice? God, do you even acknowledge that I made a sacrifice? God, is my heart bent on you? Do I seek you with my whole heart? Have I counted all things lost that I may win Christ? Dear God, I know how convicting this was to me. Dear God, I know how much rearranging I felt like needed to be done. Help us to be willing to do that. Dear God, I don't want to live a life that's marked by compromise with the world and is marked by hypocrisy. But dear God, I want to be right with you. So help us tonight, we pray. Thank you for the opportunity. How
2: deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He would give His only Son to make a wretched. face away as wounds which mar the children.